So again, we have an episode where Picard may or may not have falsified records. This is the same time, second time he's been under investigation for this. Yeah. That's not, that's, that's a really bad track record. I mean, I know that, you know, someone being accused of a crime is not the same as them committing that crime, but when you get consistently accused of the same crime, that looks pretty suspicious. Well, true, but in this instance, at least, uh, it was all a ploy by this admiral to get him to take over Starfleet Academy because there's some sort of conspiracy in Starfleet. So, um, yeah, (laughs) all right. Uh, And I think in this case, it makes at least a little bit of sense in that it makes no sense. So there's that as well. And it also allows us to see Riker get huffy, which is always fun. Yes. Um, yeah, Coming of Ages is a pretty terrible episode. I think that's putting it mildly. This was... I, I'm pretty sure that I, I died while I was watching it because yeah. I, I could not believe what I was seeing. About six, Again, another six separate episodes that don't really make any sense when put in together. Implications that don't... Like, it, on one hand, it's interesting that they're bringing... They're explicitly referencing referencing earlier episodes in the series that, you know, we've seen a few weeks ago and dealing with the implications of that. But on the other hand, this episode does not affect the later world, even though it brings up several extremely – the fact that there was a conspiracy in the Federation is a very significant thing to bring up. And you can't just dismiss it as this does with saying, oh, well, maybe I'm just old. Well, maybe he is just old. Maybe he just needs to eat some oatmeal and I'll get over it. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe he's just constipated. No, oh, and it's they, and, not and, a conspiracy. It's a constipation in the Federation. Well, and I think you're, I think to your point, I, I, yeah. I do find that, you know, the next generation so far does have more continuity yeah. than I remember it having, at least in the sense of, you know, I mean, we've, we've talked about this before, but I, I think continuity, not in the sense of sort some sort of serialized show, but in the sense that they don't have episodic amnesia it's, and yeah, th- things are remembered. And so I, I do find that interesting in, in, in the sense that they kind of assumed that people would be watching the show every week or at least wouldn't care if they were mentioning that something happened, which they didn't see. Yeah. It's, I mean, in this episode in particular, it's done generally enough. So that way, also, if you see one of the earlier episodes and reruns for the first time, it's not like it's spoiling that episode for you. You know, they do it generally enough. But I like the fact that the captain's log that we hear gets actually listened to by someone in Starfleet. You know, there is somebody who is looking over his reports every week. And that does make it seem, again, it... it, it, it There's some kind of a reason why they're doing yes, it. Yes, yeah. It, it, it does make it, this is his actual job. It's less anthologized, I'd say, in a way. It's less self-contained. Yeah, and I and I honestly, I think it's interesting because I think that you can kind of see the lack of network interference in the show, in a sense. Because, yeah. you know, one of the reasons why shows didn't have any sort of continuity, you know, partly it was because it was easier to do it that way and part just to treat each episode as a, as a um, discrete entity. But the other half of it was, of course, that um, television was, was on networks that had control over what episodes they were going to air. And so there was really no guarantee that they were going to air any particular episode in any order. Um, And what you're seeing, I think, with The Next Generation is that uh, being syndicated allows them the freedom to decide in what order they're going to provide episodes to the stations that are airing it. And so they do have a little bit more control over the the sort of overarching storyline, if we can call it that, of, of what's happening in the world, which I do find interesting. Yeah. You know, it's... 
it's a kind of episode that again has maybe some potential, but it's I think it's funny that we've spent the entire time so far talking about the ostensible B plot of the episode. Right. <laughs> well, we haven't even really dealt with the the plot the A plot, the plot that informs the title and the episode description. You know, like that's a problem with it. Well, I I think that, you know, this is really the episode where you can see Wesley as a limiting force in the show. Yeah. Because his plot is we have no investment in it. At least I don't have any investment in it. I don't care about Wesley as a character. I think that when he's on the show, the show sort of grinds to a halt. Um, he's extremely uninteresting in a, in a way that I find almost uh, incomprehensible. And the fact that he's being tested for admission to Starfleet Academy is again the show the show has already done plot lines with Picard in uh the battle with with Troy and Haven with Riker and Hyde and Q and now with Wesley in 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 uh coming of age that they're it's being set up as oh they're going to if they get this thing happening they're going to leave the show and it's like the 18th episode of the season. Like, no main character is going to leave the show. And well, so I... it's just it just undercuts the entire point of the episode because you know Wesley is not going to get accepted to Starfleet Academy because he's not going to leave the show. Well, to also to that point, Picard has that same exact plot in this episode. He gets offered not a studenthood at Starfleet Academy, but he's going to be the director of it. And he's debating. Yeah, and like what? He what, debates for about five minutes, and then at the end, he just says, "You know, no, I'm not going to do it." And what are they going to do? Like, okay, like if they if this was the like, okay, I can see like a Joss Whedon type show where um, there's 18 episodes of like this space adventure show, and then the captain of the ship and one of the kids like goes off to Starfleet Academy, and suddenly it becomes a totally different show. Like, I could see that happening. But... Or it could even be that a uh, kind of thing where, okay, well, Patrick Stewart was signed on for the first season, and then Riker was really going to be the captain the entire time. Whatever. And yeah. So this is him being transitioned out, and then, uh, like, something like that could have been done. Again, that but shows, shows, shows didn't do that. Shows then. didn't do that then. And so it's like if, if someone was leaving the show, it was because of external reasons, not because of, like, you know, plot necessities, right? Yeah. And so I, I just find the whole the whole thing very weird, and I know that they were trying to... They were trying to do something with, uh, you know, linking Picard and Wesley in some way. Yeah, but, you know, they're... they're again, but it just doesn't work. Picard just has this in his mind, and then he just decides not to do it, while he, as far as he knows, is is... This admiral wants Picard in this position because he feels that there is a conspiracy and that people who are involved in this conspiracy are going to be using Starfleet Academy as kind of a breeding ground. And that is a – that if there – if this conspiracy exists, that is a legitimate fear. You need people who are really going to be by the book and Picard is by the book and so – him in charge. I actually, of, I would disagree with you. I, I wouldn't say that Picard is by the book. I, I'm sorry. I, well, he's he's. I not, would say that Picard is a trusted friend, un, uncorrupted. Maybe that's a, that's yeah. A, that's probably a better uh, phrasing of that. If Picard is uncorrupted, I mean, let's not forget the whole point. The, the, the whole B plot of the episode was this guy Remick walking around and saying, "Picard, why did you violate the Prime Directive? Why did you not do this? Why did you not do this? Starfleet regulations say this, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Yeah, and that's no, no, that that's that's fair. Um, so. As far as Picard is concerned, he makes this decision, again, kind of 
he, we don't really see him agonizing about that. He tells Riker, you know, gee, I haven't decided yet. And then the next scene is when he's really talking to Wesley and he says, you know, I'm turning it down. Um, right. And, you know, which, as far as he knows, he is leaving Starfleet Academy in the hands of somebody who possibly might be in a conspiracy. And, again, that's just dropped. It's some, It's That is such a conspiracy in Starfleet is such a massive bomb to drop that you can't just take it away and i guess that's a big mistake for the show to have made i do i do wonder though because you know i i see your point and i think i think what you're reacting to is the fact that you know while the show does mention things that happened in previous episodes mostly the actions or the events of any one episode are not necessarily carried over into future episodes. Yeah. And so what you're thinking is sort of like, okay, they're, they're in, instigating some sort of conspiracy or, um, they're, like if they're this introducing the kind of thing that yeah. they're introducing the idea of a conspiracy, but this is the type of show where if they do that, it's going to be resolved in the same episode. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Yeah. It, it's, it's, I guess. And part of this is I have the, looking at later and it could have been that that was something that they did intend maybe to do in the show later on but never managed to get to i mean i'm going as assuming that they don't deal with this i've never heard of i feel that if that had been one of the major arcs of next gen i would have heard about it at this point or you would have mentioned or you would have stopped me in this episode um but yeah or maybe i I just want you to look stupid that that could be a, a thing as well um or maybe it was just really resolved in a really bad episode that you don't remember, you know? It could be. Um, yeah, and I and I, I, I see your point. Um, yeah, I guess it's a it's another point where this episode just dropped the ball. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, I, you know, I, yeah. I, I wonder, though, because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a funny kind of thing. Because on the one hand, we have Wesley, who is the... Um, the shining light, the future of Starfleet. You know, he is he is obviously going to be like you know head of head of Starfleet, like Joint Chiefs of Staff. He's going to be the yeah. president of the Federation one day. Like he's going to be you know he's going to be everything, yeah. everybody, because uh, he is just that brilliant. Um, but he fails at his entrance exam, and uh, the other thing I think that is interesting with that is um, the show seems to be making some sort of point that. It's more valuable for Wesley and Picard to be out in space having adventures than it is for them to be at Starfleet Academy safeguarding the future of the Federation. Well, I mean, and I, you know, and I just that's that's a fundamentally problematic assumption because I think, you know, it's one of those things where I think Star Trek doesn't. Star Trek doesn't do world building extremely well, at least. Well, I would I would argue that Deep Space Nine does world building extremely well. But, you know, we'll we'll get to that in a couple of years. Um, I I think that in this case, it's just not handled very well because this is not the type of show that should introduce those sorts of elements. On the one hand, I could see the show almost making the point like, well, Wesley's going to be better served getting a more practical education on the Enterprise than because at Starfleet Academy, he'll be, you know, studying from, you know, the equivalent of books and he'll be in classes and he'll be doing those things. And meanwhile, he's learning just as well on the Enterprise, except he's also going on adventures and getting more real world leadership experience, real world problems. I could see that kind of an angle. 
but that's not the angle they go with though. The say, angle they go with is that he lost. Yeah. And he Which d- is fine. And I mean, he doesn't and, and and it's not like they make that Picard's speech at the end could have been, well, next year you go in, but at, in the meantime, you know, you've been in the engine room. You know how this ship works. You know, you in just six months, you've learned all of these things. So imagine, you know, you, another year of experience on this ship, what you'll learn. Like, they could have gone that kind of angle. Well, I think that it introduces some problematic elements to the whole, you know, Starfleet's training in general. Because, you know, as we've seen, if Wesley yeah. can learn on his own and if Wesley is again as we've said some sort of savant level genius um that that he understands the enterprise he understands you know pretty much all the theory and things like that but he can't translate that real world experience into the environment of a test I, I don't know what that says about him as a candidate for Starfleet in general. But here's And I the, don't know what that says about Starfleet's testing either. Well here's the thing. Okay, so number one the entire concept of they only take one student a year, number one. Well, no, I don't think it was that they only take one student a year, but they had one spot open for what, you know, I don't know. Like yeah, maybe that, you know, that, they have, mm-hmm. they have, you know, 5,000 testing centers all over the galaxy, you know, and they can only take one student from each testing center. You know, yeah, I, I, it's that. It's like the SAT. I, you know, I mean, it's, you kind of have to just go with it. It's fine. I mean, either way, we all, we see Wesley number one passing a couple of tests of character throughout this thing. He, you know, that other officer with the webbed hand, he, you know, does diplomatic relations with that guy perfectly, you know, which obviously is a very good quality in officer and is something that the, you know, the vaporizer guy doesn't seem to know. Um, Benzite, which is one of my favorite alien races in Star Trek. What is he, what is that thing? They, uh, as far as I understand it, they... They can breathe an oxygen atmosphere, but they need sort of like a, sub- a supplemental gas. So that's kind of like <laughs> their thing. Like that's kind of their atmosphere. Like that's what they breathe. Yeah. Um, I just I just like them. You know, they're cool looking and. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I liked I liked the I it like, was a good design. I like him as a character. I think he might come back in the future, although I'm not sure if it's exactly that one or not. Yeah. Um, there's like a running joke in Star Trek that all Benzites look the same or something. So, okay. Um, but yeah, I just, I like Benzites. No, no, I can see why. They're just you know? funny. Again, they're a, like the guys with the white hair and the little antennae from the first one. Yeah. Which were those again? Uh, Andorians. Andorians. Yeah. Like they just have a cool design, a yeah. very striking design. Yeah. Um, you know, Wesley helps him out in the middle of the test, which is a very good thing for a leader to be able to do to worry mostly about we're all working together not any you know that's a good thing you know we see him passing the test to decide to make a decision to act in a time of crisis with this you know the lab is exploding test which is horrifying by the way and seems like it would be like i don't know psychologically problematic or something like i don't know like isn't that kind of ethically questionable well here's the thing i mean hey we we here's a test where you think that two people you just killed somebody well they know that it's the uh what (laughs) they know that it's supposed to face their deepest fear we see the other guy you know visibly shaking from it and so in other words there was no Anytime we've seen what guy was visibly the shot? other dude, the other what the race we just talked about. I don't remember alien races from moment to the moment. The Benzite, the Benzite, the Benzite is shaking after he gets out of his psych test. He's freaked out. Oh, oh, yeah. Basically, what I'm saying is the in the entirety of what we have seen of their performance, Wesley has outpacing him leaps and bounds. The two women aren't even considered. They, you know, which is another thing. But 
Like, why did the Benzite beat Wesley? What did we see that justifies that winning? Yeah, I don't. We didn't. So it seems like Wesley loses only because they wouldn't have. He needed to be in the episode next week. And they, yeah, they don't. I see your point. They don't make a yeah. good a good justification for why Wesley does does not pass the test with flying colors. I I do want to pick up on your thing about the the two female characters though as well because. <laughs> The Vulcan character is basically a non-entity, and yeah. that's fine. I, I don't, I don't think that that had as much to do with the fact that she was a woman. It just had to do with the fact that the show was uncomfortable with Vulcans. It, it, it was. And so it also sh- didn't have enough talent on this episode to write two more characters. Well, frankly. well, I think you know. I the, think the, that's a thing. the next generation definitely tries to stay away from Vulcans as much yeah. as possible for a good reason. I mean, you know, Spock was such an integral part of the original series and the movies that. I don't think that you I think it was a smart decision not to have a Vulcan character. And, you know, Star Trek doesn't have another main Vulcan character until Star Trek Voyager. So they they were Tuvok. Yes. Uh, (laughs) I don't know why you love Tuvok so much. I can't wait to watch him. Oh, yeah. You're going to love Tuvok. We're going to have a great time. Um, You know, so so for good reason, I think they stay away from from Vulcans in general. I don't real. I, I find the 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 love interest or whatever. Um, I don't even know if she gave it. I don't know if she had a name. Like I don't even know whatever the hell. But Martha, we'll call her Martha. Well, I was gonna go with Christy. She looks more like a Christy. All right, let's call her Christy. Okay, let's call her Marcy. With Marcy, an, we'll, we'll with go. an I, and she puts a little heart at the. Yeah, end we'll go Habsy. She's Marcy. Marcy. Um, Marcy is uh, seems intelligent. She seems with it. She's playing around with Wesley. Not that way. Ew. That's Jordy's job. Um, and so I don't really have a problem with her. She seems like a fully self-actualized female in the 24th century. But um, we mean, also don't get to see a lot of her. And so I think... Given what- the actress they chose to play her, though, that's kind of a mercy. Like, yeah. she's really... And that's a lot of my problem. Like, when you were saying, like, oh, she's intelligent, she's capable. I'm like... Well, really? But, you know, yeah, that's the actress is playing her so woodenly. You would, you know, that's that's true. Give, you know. And that that is a problem that the show has yeah, in the first season, with, especially that I'm noticing that the guest stars they were getting are just not of a very high quality. There's a couple of random ones. Again, I like the woman playing Minuet. Um, there was a she couple. Was good, yeah. The other, de- the detective or whatever from the big, weird, the holodeck episodes have really good guest acting. Maybe that's because you're... I mean, they can go a little more over the top within the... Well, I think they can go a little more over the top, but I think also maybe your expectations are colored by the fact that they're supposed to be computer-generated people. Maybe. In a a way. That could be. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there, but... But especially in the case... Yeah, I was going to say in the case... Yeah, maybe. But, you know, I, I think that in general, Wesley's sort of boys' club atmosphere of his plot line is not really consistent with the show and doesn't seem to fit it very well and also doesn't seem to go anywhere. Oh, hey, there was a... To- that reminds me, there was that total other plot in the episode with the friend. The friend? You totally forgot. The- yeah, the friend who at the very beginning was like, oh, I didn't get back to- into Starfleet. I'm going to steal the ship. Tell my dad I'm never coming back. Oh, you, right. you remember that subplot? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that happened. That happened. Well, I think that I'm glad you mentioned that because I had completely forgotten. About I know I, I, I didn't until you mentioned Boys Club, but yeah. But I think that that's the moment where the two plot lines tie together at least a little bit because 
and obviously not very well because I'd forgotten about it. But yeah. you know, Picard impresses Remick with his ability to sort of take command and think on the fly, um, and also is maybe a little bit nice to him at the end of the episode in a way that Picard usually isn't nice to kids. So I think it's kind of like he's that's kind of Picard's test to see whether or not he actually wants to go be commandant of Starfleet Academy. And he kind of decides, yeah, I don't want to do this. Like, you know, trying to, trying to, um, (laughs) it would be puberty every day for Picard doing that every five minutes. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I think like he, he pretty much is like, no, I don't want to inspire young people. I think they're kind of stupid. So (laughs) I am just going to stay on the ship. Like, I think that's kind of the moment where he realizes that. Yeah. which is great. He's like, I don't want to deal with this shit every day. I would have loved to have seen that part in the script. And again, maybe this is the fact that this is just they're trying to cram so much into one episode and they're not really good at it. That that could be. That could be. Yeah. Well, we should wrap this one up. But I, I think that in general, I will say that that, you know, the last thing I can say about this is that I think the show is is starting to get a handle on Picard. It's starting to get a handle on some of the characters. I think Worf is pretty I was cool in this episode. Just about to say, Worf is starting to be a character. The scene where he's talking to Wesley and he's saying, you know, I really like that. That's scene. a great scene. That's like the first thing we've learned about Worf is that he is. And I mean, both of these episodes, we see Worf starting to come as a character, and he is a very. He is very interesting in these two episodes. I would, yeah, I would agree. I mean, the next one is very much a Worf episode, so. And we'll talk a little more about that. Um, we have again this. They they address the fact that you know, Picard may or may not have been responsible for Wesley's father's death twice. They refer to this in this episode, but nothing happens with that. But I will say. In in this episode's defense and in the show's defense in general, yeah. Um, you say that they have not had the ability to, to sort of interweave plot lines yeah. from, from episode to episode. That is something that they have consistently sort of like and under the surface of Wesley and Picard and, and Beverly's relationship that is there. And, and I so guess the fact, is... the fact that they're mentioning that and not resolving it in this episode, I think is probably to its credit in a sense. You're right. And I guess to a degree, I am kind right. Of, fuck you. Um, <laughs> like Wesley does, I guess in this episode, he doesn't necessarily resolve it, but he does realize that he is dealing with these feelings and that he also, going through this test, recognizes... Wesley's dealing with a lot of feelings. Oh, God. Um, Jordy's feeling him all... Ew. Uh, no, don't, don't. No. Uh, you're the one who brought that up. I feel strange, but good. <laughs> um, you know, Wesley realizes that he maybe he does have a bit of this resentment, but he also does realize that it's not like it was something Picard did to, you know, he kind of realizing, you know, realizes a heavy as the head that wears the crown kind of thing. And that these decisions yeah. were not personal and that that is what just being a leader means. Yeah. And it kind of sucks, you know. And I think Dr. Crusher, by saying, you know, that's personal, you know, I'm only talking about professional, you know, she does her way of dealing. I mean, she is obviously as as a doctor on the on the enterprise she knows what it's like to make difficult decisions and she does yeah. know you know in her own and you had seen you know Picard directly in action she has those same realizations so maybe she does need to compartmentalize that it's the kind of thing that bothers her you know on her anniversary or you know if she sees a certain movie on TV but for the most part she deals with it yeah and i and i think that that's something that in general yeah. if you're going to be in starfleet you just have to deal with that i was say if you need to be if you're going to be an adult you need to deal with that you know yeah 
that for Dr. Crusher, it's as much the fact that she's a grown woman in her 50s that that, that she is an, a Starfleet officer, you know? Yeah, yeah. All right, well, uh, what would you give this one? I would give this two hits off of, of a Bakelite vaporizer or whatever the Benzite. I'll give it a three. Okay. All right, well, let's move on to our final episode this week, Heart of Glory. So we've got some Klingons. Oh, yeah. And um, they're kind of weird. Uh, yeah, we've... Yeah. <laughs> they still don't really understand what Klingons are. Well... I really, you know, I'm re- I am really like the presentations of Klingons in uh, this the last Star original series movie. Okay, um, well, here's the thing, and this is what I want you to... Uh, this is I, I wanted to talk about this yeah. because this is t- a timeline thing. Yes, this is before that. Oh and yeah, so yeah, I know that. That here's this is the problem with this episode is that it's it's okay. I, I don't think that there's I don't think that there's anything that 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 bad about it. I think it's a decent episode. I, I certainly don't think it's a classic. I, I wouldn't recommend that people you know sit down and watch this every year or something. But I think it's interesting to see sort of the evolution of the Klingons in general, and and the next generation is 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 trying to put their own spin on it. Um, I don't know that they completely answer the question of where the Klingons are at this point. Yeah. But if you look at where the Klingons were in the original series movies, we had uh, The Search for Spock come out the year prior. No, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, the Voyage Home come out prior the year prior to this movie. So the Klingons that we have seen so far in the actual um, real timeline, yes. not the Star Trek timeline is that they were enemies in the original series. They were enemies in the motion picture. They were enemies in, in the search for Spock because you had a, a, a whatever the fuck his name is, um, Christopher Lloyd, Christopher Lloyd yes. as a Klingon. And uh, that's it. That's it. Yeah, that's all you see. And so Christopher Lloyd and the fat drunken one at the end, the uh, in boy in Final Frontier. In the Final Frontier, right. And you also have the other Klingon who's just randomly picking off, you know, satellites because he's bored. That's what... The Klingons are somewhere in between there at this point. Right. And so what the show is trying to do, and I think... I think this episode is more of a noble failure than anything else. Uh-huh. Because they, they put Worf on the bridge... I don't necessarily think they had a good reason for why he was there or what his background was or where the Klingons were in this era because this is 70 years after the original series. It seems as much they wanted to put an alien on the bridge that wasn't Vulcan. Well, I think it was more that they wanted to differentiate the show very strongly from the original series. How do you do that? Put a Klingon on the bridge of the Enterprise. Whoa, what the hell is going on? So I think that in this episode, they could have gone a couple different ways, right? They could have established the Klingons as being full members of the Federation. Something happened. You know, Worf is not the only member of Starfleet that's a Klingon, et cetera, et cetera, right? They're just another member of the Federation. They didn't do that. What they did instead was establish that the Klingons are at peace with the Federation. Okay, that's the first thing we've ever heard about yeah, that. Yeah, they apparently have extradition rights. Right. Like, they, they explicitly say that they're in an alliance with the Federation in this episode. That yeah. Worf, but Worf is the only member of Starfleet who's a Klingon. So that answers two questions. It answers the sort of the relationship between the two. And it also answers the question of what exactly Worf's deal is. Yeah, he's only, uh, he's, in a way, he does have a similar role to 
where Spock was as far as the Federation goes, given that Spock was, if not the only Vulcan in the Federation in the original series, he was one of the first. Right. And he is definitely... Starfleet. Un- in Starfleet, sorry. And he is definitely unusual for that fact. Um, while, while Vulcan was a Federation member, certainly, he, him being, you know, on the bridge was weird. Right, right. And, and so what I think is interesting about this episode is that, you know, this is the show... And some of this certainly is colored by by knowledge that I have of, 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 of future episodes. But I think this is the show where they do start to get a handle on the fact that they can differentiate themselves quite strongly from the original series. Yeah. And I don't know that this episode completely sells it, but I think they do a decent job of it. Um, and I also think that it's a strong episode because of Worf. I, you know, this is really Worf's breakout episode in a way. And I think that... He sells I, I think Michael Dorn sells Worf as an interesting character that we want to know more about. What's yeah, and I, I don't want to necessarily contrast too much to Spock, but in some ways Worf is dealing with being uh of mixed heritage. While he is full blooded Klingon, he was his thing is he was raised by humans. He was raised in he grew up in Starfleet Academy, so he does have these two, his, you know, in a way, a nature versus culture kind of thing. And his, he's, he's living a life which has managed to integrate and interweave both of them. In other words, he feels that being on the bridge of the Enterprise allows him to use his warrior nature, to use his, they talk about how, oh, you're a Klingon, you're a hunter. And, you know, Worf does feel that, but he also is using it towards a creation, towards exploration, towards peace. So the values of humanity with the power of the Klingon. Yeah, and I and I think I think that's a good point. And I think what you see in Worf is a Klingon who lives within Federation society, yeah. and more specifically, I think, human society, because, you know, uh, the he, they said he's from a farming colony called Galt, um, which I believe, I, I don't think they explicitly say in the episode, but I think it's supposed to be a human colony. Um, so he grew up in a farming world, basically. Uh, and I think what you see with Worf is uh, a person who finds that, like, because this episode sort of establishes that there's, you know, maybe there's some sort of physiological thing with Klingons and they have to fight. I mean, who knows? I mean, this is still all up in the air and it, it's not really well defined. Um, but that Starfleet is the way within the Federation for him to get his warrior instinct out. I mean, they do make it very clear. Now, one of the things I just really didn't 100% catch in the episode is what are they rebelling against? The other uh, Klingons. Like, what? why are they being... Uh, what What? What was their story exactly? Because that was very vague. Like, they just... they. I, I got the impression <laughs> that what they were doing... You know, the the Klingon Empire in, in this episode, and I don't know that this is completely borne out by later episodes, mm-hmm. but... The kind of the idea of this episode is that the Klingon Empire, the Federation were their biggest enemy, and they were also within alliance with the Romulans, right? Yeah. So the kind of the two biggest, the, th- the three, you know, if you, if you look at the original series and you say, okay, what major powers were there? Federation, Klingons, Romulans. It's pretty much it. Yeah. I mean, you see the Gorn once, um, you see a couple other races a couple times, but really there's not that many other big threats. Vulcans are an extremely prominent race, but I wouldn't call them a superpower in a way. Well, they're in the Federation, so yeah, that that, fair, that, yeah. that covers that. Yeah. Um, 
So what you see in this episode is the Klingon Empire at peace, and they don't like it. And so they feel kind of like, well, the Klingon Empire has lost its way. We're not out conquering worlds anymore. We're not out uh, 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 attacking Federation starships. We're not out attacking Romulan starships. We're not out attacking anybody. We're just sitting around and and jerking off, basically. Um, We don't want to do that anymore. Um, All right. I mean... I, I think that's the least yeah. successful part of the episode. Worf does make it, yeah, that, yeah. Worf makes it clear that they have basically. I mean, he does address that there is a Klingon code of ethics. He says, you know, I don't hear honor, I don't hear obedience, I don't hear, you know, leadership, I don't hear, you know, integrity and all, you know, what you're saying. And he does, you know, while a Klingon is going to be it again, they really are harping on the noble warrior kind of. Uh, archetype for this for the Klingons yeah and so you know I I think Worf would find if if they had said oh we're going to be fully into the Klingon way of life he would have been fine with them he wouldn't have you know if they had been legitimately seeking a genuine asylum or if they had been you know saying oh we want to leave the Klingons and be Federation members like the he would have been fine he would have seen that as a constructive use of their energy but he sees them as basically lesser because they don't have a goal they're working towards well i think their goal is to go out and murder people i mean i i you know i i don't think that there's any i don't think there's any deep philosophical underpinning to this i mean it's it's, if you if you look at the very end of the episode when he sort of runs off and you know he's going to shoot the thing and it's like all right i'm going to destroy the ship okay this we need to end the episode somehow um he says uh uh, he calls on uh, uh the traitors of kling which that's not what the Klingon homeworld was called, but they had not as fully established that it was called something else. So I, I think they, I think they realized that Kling sounds ridiculous. Um, I was gonna say it's like a bath, it's like a dish soap, you know? Yeah, exactly. So I, I think the idea is that there's some sort of, I mean, you know, we could, I, I, let's call it the Tea Party or something. You know, like there's some sort of like small faction of Klingons yeah. that think that. Um, the leaders of the Klingon Empire, by being at peace, are traitors, and so they're going to leave the Empire and go do something else. I mean, it's interesting. Why, why, why they are arrested? I don't know. I don't know what they did. I mean, yeah, and I guess, I guess because they blew something up. Yeah, I don't and that, know, that but... could have been explained a little better. Like if they had, you know, if they had been claiming this entire time, oh, we're political prisoners. We are, you know, and. Then finally, when they meet the, you know, captain of the Klingon ship and he says, yeah, no, they're prisoners because they blew up, you know, the town square in a protest. Like, they no, they're, they're, we're not, they're, we don't have political reasons. We have, they're criminal, you know, that would have been something very different. And then that would have made actually the, 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 the you can't just you know, go off wantonly, you know, kind of theme. Yeah, cut, cut, cut the first 10 minutes of you know Riker Data and Jordy over on the ship wandering around trying to figure out who exactly is in the ship. By the way, why don't they just hook like a wireless transmitter up to Data and get his feed rather than it making visor technology that everyone has trouble seeing and that doesn't really work that well? I mean, shouldn't Data already have those capabilities in him? Theoretically, we don't know the Data. We don't know what Data's vision looks like. So maybe it's even He's worse. He's a computer. You can still transmit data from a computer to a centralized thing. I think it's more just they were really fascinated this by Jordy's a, visor yeah. and they needed five minutes. I mean, you know, that's, that's the, the thing. Yeah, I was like, going to say, I, that, that scene where, like, Picard's like, wow, and what's that? 
And what is that? Who's that? And it's like, it's Riker. I can't tell. It's Riker. Like, don't you see it? You can't see red. Like, right, right. I mean, I think, you know, it's, 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 it's problematic because I think what you're seeing is you're seeing a show where the scripts are still not fully yeah. well developed. <laughs> and like you said, cut that out. Like, just cut that part cut it out. out. Doesn't it's not necessary. The whole visual acuity transmitter is boring and goes nowhere. The whole and it's it, it's shitty technology. Like I said, it it doesn't really work that well. It serves no purpose, and the only reason that it's in the episode it feels like is because they needed to kill three minutes. Um, and like you said, set it up better, right? Like, who are these Klingons? It started out, they did something bad. the The Klingons are looking for help to to catch them something right and like i mean i you know i try to stay away from like script doctoring episodes in these episodes of trek about but it's like it's sometimes, hard not to. sometimes you have to because they they are they do have structural problems that that could be fixed fairly easily like listen i one of the things i liked about the episode was picard talking to the klingon commander and the way their relationships are cordial but they are they both recognize that they were enemies not that long ago but that they do need to work together they both acknowledge like gee times are different you know right you know they recognize that it's not easy for them to work together but they also know uh, 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 you know one of the things that was about the you know the Ferengi in that episode are really stupid you have the one uh, with the magic juju orb or whatever oh in the battle yes and you have the under one who's saying you know no you're being really dumb about this in order to you know the commander, both the commander and Picard realize that, you know, to keep these enmities between them is not productive anymore and that yeah. they will work together. You know, if the Klingons had, you know, the two Kling, the three Klingons from the beginning had said, you know, gee, we're, we're political, you know, we're seeking political asylum from the Klingon Empire. You know, we want a defect, you know, especially in a post-Soviet, you know, society as this show was made in that would have been a this wasn't post-soviet this sorry. was 1987 sorry um no during during soviet then that plot line would have made even more sense to have some you know a, how many shows had you know a russian is defecting as a plot line right okay we're klingons we want to defect to the federation you know we want to escape we want to find a place where and they're going well, that's with a, that but, assumption but, see, but now but I, I but i think you're misunderstanding what the klingons want they don't want to defect to the federation they don't want anything to do yeah, with but the federation li- they want to kill people that live in the federation i'm like, saying that as their plan as but, as a way uh, they i i i think they, i think that that's i think that that's a little convoluted honestly well, and it's i think better that there's than what the, and i think that there, well maybe it is <laughs> i don't know but i I'm, no i'm trying to figure out ways of making it make more sense making that reveal because the klingons from the beginning seem like you know we we don't i don't know they just i don't know what they did they don't really make themselves seem noble in any way and they just come off as bad yeah and it's 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 not you know they they it's, i mean it's they, not a great episode yeah it's not a great episode but i think furthermore it's something that I, I i kind of you know i think maybe i'm looking at it from a different place than you because yeah. i know where the klingons go and i can sort of see some of the seeds of that in this episode and also but at in... the same time it i think it's more interesting in how the klingon how the how the two Klingons in the episode react to Worf and how Worf reacts yeah. to the two Klingons. I think that's where the more interesting episode lies. And I will say, I don't I, know. I don't know that making the episode some sort of like political defection episode well, makes what it I, any yeah, better. Part of part of it is I really liked Undiscovered Country, and that is kind of what that you know that was a 
more had elements of more of a political drama and it did have this it did have a conspiracy angle that was born out and it did have you know but look at you have to look at the undiscovered country coming after four seasons of Mm -hmm. next gen oh yeah that did a lot to establish the klingons yeah, it's weird coming at that from the backwards angle then, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That's, I guess, yeah, that's where a lot of my issues maybe with Klingons will be. And I wonder, that's something I want to take a look at then, I guess, where I think about Klingons having seen what kind of the height of Klingon can be. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, also you have to keep in mind that, um, you know, Undiscovered Country doesn't happen without The Next Generation. Yes, of course. Doesn't happen without Heart of Glory. Doesn't happen without a lot of Klingon episodes or Worf. And so what you'll see, and just keep that in mind, I know it's difficult, but, you know, just keep that in mind. And as we see Klingon episodes, and and I don't think there's another one this season. I think there might be one next season, but I'm not sure. Um, You know, I think the third season is where they really start to uh, uh, examine Klingons a lot more. You know, especially after Worf in the second season becomes a main character. Yeah. Um, this that... is an earlier example of the... This is kind of a, the beginning... In a way, they rebooted Klingon for this series. Yeah, I and, I, and I think... This, we're seeing the beginnings of that. And I think what you're seeing in this episode as well is that the people that are working on the show have some interesting ideas that later writers for the yeah. show take, but they're not competent enough to really pull it off well. It's really hard to look at this first season as a real show. Yeah. It's almost a, I don't necessarily want to say proof of concept or demo, but this feels like one really, 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 really long pilot. And I'm ready for the real show to begin. Yeah, I I can get that. Yeah, I can I, see I could see, you know, you've got, you know, you have some really good ideas. All right, now let's give you a budget. Let's give you some better writers and make this thing. You know, like that. that's what I'm ready for. And I, again, I know that happens. Yeah, and I think, again, I think you can see in Coming of Age and Heart of Glory, um, a lot of the problems of the earlier episodes are gone. Like the yeah. characters are, at the, they're finding the characters' voices. They're finding how the characters are supposed to react in certain situations. I think, you know, the the structural problems with the scripts are still there. But on the whole, I think the show is starting to gel in some respects. In some ways, these don't feel. Yeah, it doesn't feel like original series episodes, and which is good. Yes, I mean, I, especially I think considering as you we know, we had that criticism of the show yeah. early on and I, I think that what what you're seeing now is a show that is at least able to establish some sort of identity yeah. separate from the original series. It hasn't found its voice, but it's starting to show that no, it's going to come out from the shadow of its daddy, you know, it's going to be its own thing, you know. It's starting to there are very good moments. Again, that scene with Wesley and Worf in the holodeck. If in, you, in coming of age, yeah. That that would not have been that could not have happened in the second episode. Well, I, I wonder though, because you know, in these two episodes we had a Wesley kind of Picard episode, and in this we have a Worf episode. Um and I think the show is becoming a bit more character based. That's true. Yeah, we are having we there are the occasional oh well that's a Spock episode, you know. But even something like a muck time, which is very much a Spock episode, still has a lot of Kirk in it. You know, it's still, you know, even a, a McCoy episode is still a lot about Kirk. They, 
shift the they shift the focus. They don't change it as much as they do in this show. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I I like this. I mean, you couldn't have done it in an original series. That's not what the again three three sides of one character versus a group of characters. It's interesting to have a group of characters. I'm finding. Yeah, and I also think that another the show is fine. Another thing that the show is doing better is dropping in little reminders of the outside world in a way that the original series didn't do. Because we again, we had another mention of the Ferengi in Heart of Glory. Yeah. We had another mention of the Romulans. You know, the Klingons are obviously a big part of this. And so I think, you know, in a, in a, in a different way than what the original series would do about how they would just suddenly have the Romulans and they had never mentioned them before and they're a huge galactic force um they're doing a different thing in this in this show and i think they're 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 starting to get a handle on how they can do that well and how they cannot do that well yeah which i think is interesting as well they mentioned the ferengi at the very late and it took a couple episodes they mentioned you know the romulans have i know romulans are in a couple of episodes they've mentioned them they still exist they're a thing that they can use later yeah i mean i think you know it seems to me that they keep mentioning the Romulans. We haven't seen one yet, but yeah. that we're going to see one eventually just because they keep mentioning them. Yeah. Even didn't they, they even say, you know, cause they're talking about, you know, they have, Oh, they have Romulan technology or something like that. And doesn't Riker say, Oh my God, that's a name I haven't heard for a while. I, which I, is weird. Cause like they mentioned Romulans yeah. like two episodes <laughs> ago, but you know, yeah, not, it's not perfect, you know, but still he, you know, he is, you know, mentioning that, Oh, they're, they're still in this galaxy. I hope we don't see one in a future episode. Um, but they do. But they do enter their neutral zone, for example, yeah. in, in, in Heart of Glory. You know, so they are mentioning things that we know about, which I find interesting. Well, let me ask. We may see this as slight world building now. We've, be, you know, because we've had the 2000s, you know. Um, was this for 1987? Was this an amount of detail that had not been seen before? Was this an extraordinary amount of world building? I don't think it was an extraordinary amount of world building, but I, I think like what a contemporary view. I think, it's say. An, I think it's an average amount of world building, okay. you know? And I think if you look at, I mean, I think sci-fi shows in general always have a handicap just because we don't know what the world is. Um, you know, in the same way that Hill street blues doesn't need to remind us that Chicago exists every yeah. other episode. Um, I mean, Hill street blues doesn't take place in Chicago, but you know what I mean? Uh, that, you know, they, they do have a little bit more of a handicap than a, than a show set in contemporary America would. Yeah, if they mentioned someone and talking, you know, oh, this they came from – a character moves in from Chicago and that's, you know, he's talking about that in Hill Street Blues. Oh, I've been transferred from Chicago, you know. Magnum just, P.I. can do an episode with a Russian and they don't need to explain yeah, what yeah, Russians yeah, yeah. are. You have a new race, you know, you need to uh, – that's going to come out of nowhere and that's fair. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, I think the, 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 the last thing I want to mention about Heart of Glory and, and is that it, and this is a very small thing, but this ties into the, uh, you know, undiscovered country stuff is that, uh, the Kittimer Accords at the end of the undiscovered country. Do you, do you remember that about, um, that was where they were meeting, uh, at the very end of the movie and how they, they had to go to the kid had, they had to go to Kittimer. That's where the, that's I knew there the was a plan that, that, that they're trying to find the secret of. Yeah. Uh, they mention Kittimer in Heart of Glory. Huh. So that's where that came from originally. That's actually kind of nice. So, yeah, you can kind of see, like, you know, maybe in, in future Klingon episodes, like, kind of pay attention to that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because I do think it's interesting to when sort of watch that backwards this, in a way. When they were writing the script, they said, okay, what's a location we mentioned associated with Klingons? And they looked over the Klingon episodes. You know, that that it, they didn't just make something up. It came from right, somewhere. Right, They reused something, and that's, that's good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I will also be interested, because I know the... 
the one thing everyone knows about next gen is the Borg. So I really want to see how that begins to play because that will develop. You know, I know, I know that when they, the first mention is not going to be another throwaway alien. Possibly. I have no idea how it happened. So that's what I'm excited to see. All right. What would you give heart of glory? Um, I would give it four. I think it's I five. Know. It's just a decent. It's like a. It's like a decent average first season episode. You know, I don't know what we're giving it four and five of. So I think that's the problem with the episode. All right. So next week we're covering the arsenal of freedom and symbiosis. And I, I just want to mention Richard because I, I know that off off mic we have had conversations to the effect of my God doesn't the first season ever end? Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm not even like I'm just kind of like oh yeah, there's two more episodes. Eventually, I'm just I'm I'm we, pushing through it. We're gonna have a uh, uh, next week, the week after, and then one more. So three more episodes of Trek about for the first season of Next Gen, and then we move into the second season, which like almost a month, which isn't. It it's better than the first season. It's still not great, but but. There are some good episodes in the second season. I would say legitimately good episodes of the show that I could recommend without reservation. And how long is the second season? 22 episodes. Okay. So prepare yourself mentally for that. That'll be 11 weeks. So we have uh, 15 more weeks of kind of crappy Star Trek to get through. But we can do it. Uh, Can we? And and our listeners shouldn't feel that it's it's a chore because... It's a chore. We do such a great job. We do. Finding the good in all the episodes. Listen, listeners, don't watch the first and second season of Next Generation. Just listen to our Trek about. It, no, don't tell they should, It saves you the trouble of having to watch. Can you honestly say no? I think it would be better to. You will get so much more out of Trek about if you actually saw Coming of Age. No, I'm trying to protect them. How about this? When we reach the end of the first season. Let's prepare a list. Oh, no. We, we always say we're going to do things, and we never do things. No, let's do it. I'm going to remind myself that I'm going to write a note right now. I'm writing a note in the air, pretending to. They can't see that. I know they can't see it, but it's funny. Uh, that uh, we're going to make a list of episodes that we recommend you watch. I don't have anything on this list it, so far. It may be a short list. It may be a non-existent list. But you'll find out in three weeks. All right, so join us next week again for the Arsenal of Freedom and Symbiosis. We'll talk to you then.